right, well, welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We're on season six, episode 14, Game. Game. So we're recording it right after we released episode 11, Contagious. I just wanted to mention it because a bunch of people brought up Jeanette McCurdy, the young girl from that episode, the one who got in the car accident with her parents and mm-hmm. was being abused by the It's teenager. so weird because I had heard of this book and I didn't know that that was her. Uh-huh. So she wrote this book called I'm Glad My Mom Died. And it was about her growing up and her mom being this unbelievable stage mom who forced her into doing this. And she was abused in terrible ways. It's just wild. And people were like, oh, my God, I can't believe you didn't mention this. I'm like, I did not know Mm -hmm. this about her. I couldn't believe it. So now I have to read that. But yeah, it was not for lack of wanting to mention it because we would definitely fucking hit that if we would have known. But yeah, now we know. Yeah, that's crazy. So episode 14 game. Opening scene, a woman is dressed up, walking down the sidewalk. She's talking on her flip phone. The implication is that she's a sex worker because she's Mm -hmm. getting direction from the person on the other end of the phone. Like, okay, well, I'm done with this one. So what, where are you sending me now? The sex worker's name is Melody and she doesn't do a ton of acting, but she does a ton of stunt doubling. And she's actually Kelly Giddish's stunt double in a ton of episodes of SVU later on. Rollins. Really? Yeah. I know. I was like, what? Do you think she really got hit by that car then? That's an amazing... I wish I would have gone back and looked as soon as I saw she was a stunt double. I bet. She's probably like, just at least tap me a little bit. I can make it look real. Yeah. She's like, whoa. (laughs) She she like stumbles forward and then tap dances a little number and then falls through. And then a giant hook just drags her like lifeless body down the road two blocks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, da, 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 da. A car that's driving by like slams on the brakes, backs up and turns around and fucking runs this lady over. Yeah. I wasn't laughing because I'm like, (laughs) it was like, what? Right. Someone gets out of the car. You see her hand trying to reach for her phone. And the person on the other line is like, hello. So responders, SVU, Toots, they're already on the scene. Stabler arrives. Toots tells Stabler what's going on and walks him through the whole attack. The woman had no ID and no purse and barely any clothes. Then there's a trail of blood that leads them to where the woman was then attacked. Her clothes were ripped off. Her purse was taken after she was beat to death and raped. Supposedly no one heard or saw anything, but there was an anonymous 911 call. At the 911 center, Toots, Munch, and Stabler are talking to this lady. The 911 call came in a little after midnight night from payphone on the Upper East Side. Latifa, the dispatcher who answered the call, plays it back for Munch and Toots. The male caller uses terms like bus to ask for an ambulance and refers to the victim as a pedestrian, which Sabler calls cop talk. Toots wonders how a cop from the Upper East Side would know about an attack downtown, and Stabler thinks the caller may be a cop that attacked her. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Wee-oo-wee-oo. <laughs> Back at the precinct, the squad is going over all the case details with the terrible crime scene photos of this beaten woman up on their board. Mm -hmm. You know, the big cork board thing where they put everything. Mm -hmm. The board is actually better lit than the hospital ever is, um, which I appreciate. I've been listening to you say this for like months, I feel like. Uh Uh-huh. I think like I don't have a problem with the the dark. Like the darkness isn't. I think I think that it's something on darkness. um, Darkness. I don't know because it's it's not okay. First of all, it's very well known that the lighting is next to it's not that bad. Pitch black. Well, obviously, I'm exaggerating it. And Cragen's not in a greenhouse tending to fucking orchids. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, you're like insulted. You're like, oh, or is, is he? he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's just it's noticeably dark. So hmm. I feel like you're exaggerating a little bit with this one, <laughs> Tasha. No, I was more like, maybe there's something wrong with your... You do? <laughs> oh, I thought maybe it was something wrong with the lighting on your computer. Yeah. You do. <laughs> so the DNA is being run on the fluids they found. Since the victim was hit at the knees, they're thinking she was hit by a sports car. Oh. The bumper would be lower. They found black car paint fragments, and those are being analyzed. The call came from a payphone, and the closest precinct didn't have cops on duty in that area. Stabler speculates the cop could have been off duty. So now they need to get a list of cops that are employed by that precinct that also own a black sports car. 
Mm-hmm. Cragen thinks the victim was also stabbed with something like a screwdriver after she was beaten because she has puncture wounds all over her body. Ugh. Another thing Stabler mentions is that the perp was either on PCP or the attack was super personal just because it was insanely aggressive with the screwdriver and the car and the everything. Mm-hmm. Benson asks Cragen if they want to go public with the details and he thinks they might have to if nothing pans out. But for mm-hmm. now, mm Benson leaves to go to a class that she's late for. So it looks like Stabler and Toots are working the case. Pottery class. It's pottery as a pottery class. <laughs> so the crime lab calls them. They got updates on the payphone. Oh shit, should we go there? Who are we gonna talk to at the crime lab? Well, if it isn't Ryan Dropkick Murphy's O'Halloran. <laughs> and I'm not talking overplayed shipping up to Boston. Unless we're talking about the Leonardo DiCaprio prison sequence from The Departed, because that is where it's at. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, nope. yeah, I, I know. You watch it. It's been a long time. Are you it's kidding? A great movie, it though. is. It's up there with fucking Magic Mike Silverback Gorilla. For you? Yeah. But anyway, Ryan O'Halloran. He lets them know that the handset was wiped clean on the phone, but a perfect print was left on the hook switch. Duh. Ten point match. <laughs> I know. The crime lab was able to trace the print back to an NYPD officer, Tony Nazardin. Back in Cragen's office, Toots, Stabler, and Cragen meet with Nazardin's lieutenant. Stabler tells Cragen that the lieutenant is covering for her officer with some national security assignment bullshit. Mm-hmm. She tells them that if the feds find out he made the call and broke his cover, he's going to lose his detail. Mm. She claims the officer didn't see anything happen. Toots catches her little, I see what you did there with that word. Okay, so he heard something then? He didn't see it. He heard it. Mm -hmm. She's super assertive saying, listen, I'm sorry about your Vic, but I've got a bigger picture I'm dealing with, guys, Mm -hmm. period. And Stabler whips out pics of Melody's body in the street and says, please just let us talk to Nazardin. Look at what they did to her. And to me, this is so dumb. First of all, yes, it's bad. But all of the cases that they deal with are awful and horrific. Right. Right. Secondly, this hardened police lieutenant who has seen just as much shit as you guys, at least this kind of level shit, was sitting on a hard no. And one photo of that. It's one photo that primetime viewers in 2005 are allowed to see. And Stabler is pulling a Princess Leia. Help us, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're our only hope. (laughs) That changed her mind from absolutely not to. This is national security. to okay, Like, whoa. Oh, my God. Is that blood? Oh, So, yeah, she agrees to let them talk to Nazardin, but Cragen has to agree that anything from Nazardin has to stay private and cannot be used in trial. And Cragen agrees. I don't think that that agreement is going to fuck with Novak at some Mm -hmm. point. I think it'll just move right along smooth. It's going to be great. Sailing. Wink. (laughs) The lieutenant tells him they are watching a crooked businessman who wires funds to the Philippines to support terrorism under the guise of charities. They go into the surveillance room and Stabler begins to ask questions about what this fucking guy has to do with his victim. Nazardin says that the businessman's phone is tapped and they recorded a call with one of his, quote, employees. Nazardin plays the call. It's the person that the victim was on the phone with. You can hear the woman talking to the guy and then you hear the car hit her. The perp gets out, grabs her phone and then speaks to the business guy and says the victim, quote, can't come to the phone right now. She wants to play with us, then hangs up. So Toots thinks Melody is a sex worker and the dude she was on the phone with was her pimp who didn't do shit for her. Like, didn't call it in or anything. Stabler wants the businessman's name and a copy of the call recording, and the lieutenant tells him his name is Eddie Shaw. Stabler and Toots bang on Eddie's door, and they kind of bust through when he opens. He's like, I'm busy. I'm on the phone. I'm typing. Blah, blah, blah. They tell him they want to talk to him about one of his girls. Eddie says he doesn't have girls. He does import and export only. But then he says that he only does companionship and his girls are intelligent and respectable. Blah, blah, blah. Stabes shows him a picture of Melody and Eddie says he's never seen her before. Okay. So Toots is like, you know what? I'm just going to call Vice and IRS and immigration and, you know, we'll have them kind of sort this out. The guy's like, oh my God, no way. This is fine. I'll tell you. Her name is Melody Quinn. That's her last name. She was an escort only and does not do sexual stuff whatever she was studying to be a stockbroker shaw gives stabler and toots her client list from the night before 8 30 p.m her first client was mr prasad outside of a hotel or something stabler talks to mr prasad right as he's getting into a cab he shows him a picture of melody and says were you screwing this woman last night and this dude goes um she was in my apartment 
So Stabler wants a DNA sample because they're trying to fucking weed everybody out. Cut to Toots talking to an older guy. He says, oh, don't tell my wife. She was out of town last night and I gave in to temptation just once. Okay. And Toots is like, oh, really? Hmm. The agency says you're one of Melody's regulars. Weird. <laughs> Weird information that was super simple for us to find along with your address and that you were with her last night. Okay. And like nobody cares. Just tell us shit. Right. Cut back to Stabler with the next client. We're not going to make you sleep on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i love you so much <laughs> you're not in the doghouse with me woof woof <laughs> oh woof woof cut back to stabler and the next client that she was with he says that he hired melody for a dinner date they didn't have sex and he didn't break the law stabler tells him that melody is dead and since he's the last guy she was with his dna is going to be all over her and it will probably prove that he murdered her immediately he admits to having sex with her but tells stabler that she was alive when she left his place stabler asks him what kind of car he has a fucking lincoln navigator it's a big suv Right. Now we go to Cragen, Toots, and Stabes doing a precinct walk and talk. The boys go over the up-to-date deets. <laughs> Just you're disappointed in yourself. <laughs> in myself. Okay, so none of the clients had a sports car. DNA is still being run, but they question if she was raped based on her job as a sex worker. Come on. Um, It doesn't mean she wasn't raped. Yeah. It just makes it harder to prove. This is your job, you guys. Right? It's like, yeah, you could say that about any woman. Well, maybe she just fucking got laid. Maybe that's the nature of fucking being alive. Being alive. Craigan says her parents are coming to ID the body and that a wider net needs to be cast on all her clients. Taru is still working on the call recording. At the end of their walk, they're in the squad room where Stabler sees little fucking Dickie just staring at the crime board covered in pics of Melody's dead body. Yeah. Kathy just dropped him off. Do you know that the same dude plays Dickie his entire career? Really? This kid is adult Dickie. Yes. Damn. He's been in 19 episodes of SVU and five episodes of organized crime. Hmm. So Stabler walks up to him and tells him to quit looking at that shit. But Dickie's asking a bunch of questions. How'd she die? Hit by a car. Was it an accident? No. Did they take her money? Yeah, they did. I bet they beat her up too. Cartoon question marks pop, 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 pop all around Stabler's head. <laughs> yeah. He's like, why would you say that? Yeah. I mean, okay, this probably isn't the first time that Dickie's seen fucked up shit if he's just roaming free around the squad room. Uh -huh. So it could be anything. But Dickie's like, duh, this is just like the video game. Intensity. Grand Theft, uh, in I mean, intensity. <laughs> his, his dad's all, um, excuse me? I'm done with my dinner. May I please be excused? Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> Stabler was just like, what the fuck do you know about whatever? Later on a computer, Dickie's showing Stabes this game, right? So on the game, a woman is on the sidewalk, like a block lady. The graphics are crazy. <laughs> Think 007 graphics. Right. So this woman's on the sidewalk. As the player of the game, you can hit her with your car, beat her, and take her money. And he's showing his dad this mm -hmm. and telling him everybody plays this. He's like, yeah, you want to knock her out so that she can't fight back. And Stabler's like... Oh. Jesus, my child. He's like, you gotta take her money. My boy. We've come a long way from the turtle in the disposer. <laughs> Remember from the like, garbage disposal never. turtle. Yeah. My turtle. Dad, I gotta beat up this sex worker real quick. Hang on. <laughs> what? The dumbest part of this entire scene is that he's playing on a computer, so he's on a keypad, but he's typing like a fucking 911 dispatcher, like mm -hmm. like he's fucking coding it or some shit. He's like, you know what I mean? Like if you're yeah. playing on a computer keypad, you'd be pressing the arrow keys and maybe like two other buttons, but he's like, yeah. oh, I gotta, oh, I gotta get the... Like, you're okay. actually like typing out the whole thing. So then I grabbed her. You have to like type everything out that you're going to do. <laughs> what did I write? Cock? <laughs> delete, 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 delete. <laughs> delete, delete, delete. I was so fucking stupid. I was so annoyed at how he was playing. And then mm -hmm. later the kid's playing with a fucking controller, like a game console controller. Yeah. Which one is it? Well, I mean, you know, you can play. No. <laughs> yes, you can. Maybe not. It's nope. not how you play video games. Are you sure? Because there's green hell on the computer and I also can play that on my PS4 or the Switch. No, I'm saying that's not how you play games. You don't go from fully using the entirety of the keypad, typing out the whole thing. Oh, yeah. To left, right, up, down, A, B, square or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So whatever. This was annoying. This was the worst part of the episode. <laughs> right. 
Cragen stops the game and tells Stabler that the killers got the idea from this game. Mm-hmm. Stabler and Toots recall what the voice on the phone said. She can't come to the phone right now. She wants to play with us. Get it? The game looks like somebody was playing for real. Oh, shit. I like that you raised your finger. You're like, hee. <laughs> 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 Mariah Carey over here. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Still at the precinct, but later, Huang is brought in to help with the case. He brings up the thinking at the time that there's a strong correlation between violent games and crime. Stats actually prove that that's not true, but it was a hot fucking button at this time. It totally was, yeah. Stabler argues that the rage exhibited in Melody's murder is a lot to have towards someone the killer didn't know. And Mm. Huang says the game could have contributed to the rage. Huang profiles the killer based on the demo for the game. It could be a male anywhere from 10 to 50 years old. I'm super glad we narrowed that down. However, if they're an intensity junkie, they might want to brag about what they did. And Cregan is still trying to figure out what all this is about. He's like, who makes this crap? That takes us to tech up games. Munch and Toons are talking to the designer of the game. And it's the guy in the back seat from Super Troopers, right? Candy bars. He's like, the snozzberries taste like... Sn- yeah. I can't pull over. Yeah, this is, <laughs> pull over any farther. This is yeah. Jeffrey Arend. 500 Days of Summer, Garden State, Madam Secretary, Greek. He actually did a voice on Grand Theft Auto. Hmm. He was in Porn and Chicken. Hello. Undeclared. Bubble Boy. He was the voice of Upchuck and Daria. Most hmm. importantly, though, scratch all those credits. He was married to Christina Hendricks for 10 years. Christina, I think, I feel like we talked about this. Who's Christina? Oh my God. She's red hair, mad men. Oh, that's like right. insanely hot. And it didn't make sense. And everybody's like, what? How does that feel, men? How does that feel? His biggest accomplishment was being married to Christina Hendricks for 10 years. So Munch and Toots are like, hey, bunch of shit's going down. And he's like, ugh, not again. And then tells Munch that they have a ton of lawsuits against them. Quote, every month, some moron blames us for something some other moron did. The designer guy says that it's not their problem if an idiot takes something too far. The games are cartoons. They're fun. Toots tells him about what happened to Melody. He tells them that the sequence from the game was an Easter egg. So that's super weird. And Toots goes, what's a a what? A what's a who? And Munch says, it's a hidden treat that gamers can find that makes the game extra fun. Then the designer guy says, you're not as old as you look. And I typed that all in because I was like, that's kind of funny, but not really like water cooler funny. But here we are. (laughs) And then he shows them how to access the Easter eggs and tells them that there are fan sites that people post where they all are. Toots takes a phone call. Munch asks if there's anything about a woman being attacked on the fan sites, which which to me, I'm like, duh. And the designer says he doesn't have time to go looking through all of this fucking shit because the second version of the game is about to be released. Munch tells him he has time. And then he says, move (laughs) and starts looking for Easter eggs and playing the game. Yeah, because AOL doesn't understand JavaScript. (laughs) (laughs) Move. Toots takes off because Stabler called him to the ME office. In Corner Warner's office, A, she looks fucking amazing, by the way. Mm -hmm. She's got Mm -hmm. some, like, Emmy dinner thing tonight. Yeah, she looks amazing. She's wearing these click-clack heels and has her face all done. Mm. So Melody's cause of death was a subdural hematoma, and she definitely suffered, which I don't know why she had to tell him that. There are 42 points of impact all over her body caused by kicking and stomping, possibly a men's size nine. And there's a bunch of little puncture wounds all over her. And they thought it was from a screwdriver, but it's from a fucking stiletto heel. And Corner Warner had to cut the wounds out and dissect them to figure it out, which is fucking wild. They got to go back and re-listen to the tapes to see if they can hear a woman's voice. Back at the Taru lab, Tarubin was able to filter shit and find a woman's voice in the tape. She's saying that she liked Melody's jacket and it was super quick. She may have been the one to take Melody's clothes. Toots gets a call from Munch. He found something. Also, the male voice sounds like the designer guy to me, but I was way off. Mm. Back at Tech Op Games, Munch and Toots are looking over the shoulder of Christina Hendricks' ex-husband while he's on a computer with the game on. Mm -hmm. He shows him that someone wrote a new scene that involves being able to run a woman down with a car, hit her, then take her top off after kicking her. And he's like, cool, huh? (laughs) Yeah, guy. Yeah. Toots says the detail about her shirt being ripped off wasn't released to the public. Mm -hmm. Is it still cool? 
The designer says that only one person could have written it. Stu Davis, a programmer that used to work there. He got fired because he snuck bunnies boning into a kid's game, mm -hmm. but he's still a tester for intensity. At the apartment of Stu Davis, this fucking guy. Oh, my the God. The casting for this guy it was wild. Oh, Like, where yeah. did they find this human? Uh, this is actually Carrot Top's brother. No, it's fucking not. It's not. I think he just kind of looks oh, like him a little bit. Stop. <laughs> Don't do that. You got, I was reaching for my phone to do some Googling for the next four Didn't hours. Didn't he kind of look like him a little bit, though? No, he looked like that fucking one guy that's got glasses and he's, a, he's always in comedies. So Toots is at Stu's apartment door. A real fun fact about this guy, one of his first roles as a kid was on Natural Born Killers. I'm not sure what scene he was in because I haven't seen that movie for a while, but he played a kid in that movie. Stu tells him he wasn't the one that added the sequence to the game and doesn't know about any murdered women. This guy from Freaks and Geeks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His name is Martin Starr. Martin Go Starr. Ahead. Okay. So this guy's super techie, super computery, fucking JP from Grandma's Boy. I am thinking about getting metal legs. Oh, that's right. <laughs> it's a risky operation, but it'll be worth it. Do you know that, that that Grandma's Boy has like a super low score on Rotten Tomatoes? Like like really? 15%, like 10 or 15%. Yeah. I fucking quote that all the time. I mean, just yesterday I was winning at Euchre and I was teaching this guy and he was yeah. talking mad shit and I loved it. And I, I know exactly what you're going to say. I trumped him. Yeah. And I said, I said, oh, my God, new high score. What does that mean? <laughs> Did I break it and grab my I trumped this thing? Is that what you thought I was going to say? Yes. Yeah. That's your favorite line. It is. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know me so well. <laughs> So Stabler shows up to Stu's apartment. He's got a bunch of cops and a warrant to search the apartment and computers. He comes up with a warrant. He's like, hey, Stu, that's a great outfit. How much do clothes cost in the Matrix? <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> You would if you had robot ears. <laughs> he pushes the door open and walks in. Cut to them going through everything. Stu's on the couch just pissed. They find an email from someone telling Stu to check out the article about Melody's murder. It's just like the game, except the email also says, quote, Cops held back. Chick was half naked. How about a game update? LMAO. It's 2005, so late 30s Stabler dad is like, what in the Morse code is LMAO? <laughs> it's laughing my ass off. Toots knows a lot about the youths. Stu says he gets requests from goofballs to add to the game all the time. Stabler goes, you do whatever goofballs ask. And Stu's like, you would if you had robot ears. No. Uh, he said, I usually do if they pay well enough. They trace the screen just name. A, there's a couple of goofballs goofballing around, <laughs> just goofing. If we listen to each other's <laughs> Just a uh, new goof goofing. So they trace the screen name. It's Lewd Dude. Ooh, we've located the sender. So we're hearing music swell as swelly as it can swell. Stabler, Toots, and all their cops walk into a dark apartment, guns drawn, no one's home, and they find a framed photo of a young dude in the apartment. And they also find a game by the computer. Why does this guy have a framed photo of himself just sitting in his apartment? <laughs> I don't know. He's like, this is a really good picture of me. I'm gonna go to Target. I'm gonna get a frame, get this printed. That is hilarious. Right? What a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Who likes themselves? There's like a full glass of milk sitting next to it. <laughs> we walk in, swelly ass music, nobody's home. They find a framed photo of a young dude in the apartment and they find the game by the computer. Intensity. They also find Melody's fucking purse with her ID in it. Oh. Toots finds the car keys to a black sports car. Um, down to the underground parking garage. Dun -dun 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 -dun. They no, they they just change the scene. They go from the apartment to the dun -dun -dun -dun. underground parking. I was like, how do I transition? That was pretty brilliant. So they go to the parking garage. Ryan, no, I'm not related to Liam Neeson or Halloran, <laughs> is at the car with a Luma light. There's slight damage to the front with traces of blood and tissue. Over the radio, they hear that Larry is located ten blocks away. So Toots and Stabes just fucking take off. Munch and Toots are at the crime scene. Larry Tobler was run over and beaten to death. The officers heard the call from SVU go out, so they were working on the scene. Someone must have been playing the game again. And then here's where I call it. The purse was planted in Larry Tauber's place and then run over and beaten by the designer guy to throw the cops off. 
Nailed it. But I get why you would think it was him because you recognized him. Yeah. Now Stabler and Toots are at the Emmy's office and Coroner Warner says that Tauber's cause of death was massive head trauma and multiple fractures, but it was not murder. His brain matter was found on a dumpster, so his death is a suicide, which I was like, what? Toots says he must have jumped from the scaffolding that was near the scene, and it doesn't look like he was pushed because of the trajectory of the fall, and he has no defensive wounds. But his blood alcohol level was four times the legal limit. He could have killed himself over remorse. Corner Warner says dude's car ran over Melody, but doesn't think it was Tauber that killed Melody. His shoe size is 11. And remember, the shoes that kicked Melody she thought were a size 9. But why would he go 10 blocks to climb a roof and jump off? Why not his own roof? Corner Warner also says she thinks before he killed himself, he went to a strip club because the crotch of his pants are covered in glitter, a.k.a. she calls it booty dust. Booty dust. Mm -hmm. In the biz, we call that shit booty dust. (laughs) And the guys are like, we know. I've never even heard that. So Stabler and Toots got to go canvas some strip clubs over where Tauber killed himself. They spot two dancers walking down the street heading to work, so they stop to question them. These gals remember Larry as the sad dude from the night before. Mm. They say he had a friend with him that was trying to cheer him up by buying bottles. The friend was good looking, but looked too young to be there. But whatever works if the ID works. Mm -hmm. The security cameras don't function, so that won't help them. And the young guy paid one of the women to give Tauber a lap dance. And she goes, but that shit was like raising the dead. You know what I mean? And Toots is like, all right, all right. Enough about soft weensies. Come downtown (laughs) with us. Ladies. (laughs) Soft weensies. (laughs) They need these gals to chat with a sketch artist. In the precinct, as the women are with the sketch artist, realizing that they didn't need to describe the guy's dick, they need to describe his face. Mm -hmm. Um, He just has a beautiful, gorgeous, veiny penis. I was going to say, it's like a giant penis with like a a polo, a button up. And like the the urethra hole is downturned like a sad mouth. They're like, remember, he was sad. "Mm." His head's hanging down a little bit. As the women are with the sketch artist, Stabler and Cregan are back at the board. There may have been three others at the scene. Stabler thinks, based on the voices from the call recording, that the other unidentified parties with Tauber were younger, like 18 to 19 years old, and Tauber was like 30. And it could have gone two ways. Either Tauber made the younger people participate in the crime, or the younger people were using Tauber to commit the crimes by using his computer, apartment, car, and access to alcohol. Since the car wasn't repaired after the crime and he left Melody's purse just sitting there, Staler thinks Tauber almost wanted to get caught out of guilt. Toot says that the crime lab is pretty sure the person who got out of the car and spoke on the phone wasn't Tauber. The voice didn't match his voice. The second person who got out of the car was a female. Tauber could have stayed in the car and watched as it happened. This was my favorite because the whole time Toots is describing this, he's also dry erase marker drawing it for them like a football coach doing some strategy with the team, except what he was explaining was super duper simple. Yeah, that was so weird. (laughs) He drew. He's like, "Okay, here's the car. And he draws a rectangle. Then he's like, this person got out of the car and just drew an arrow coming out of it, symbolizing (laughs) the the whole thing was funny. It was like and it was two lines. He was like, this person got out of this side and this person got out of this side. I'm glad you drew that, Toots. So we could fully get the picture in our minds. We couldn't we couldn't imagine it otherwise. Yeah. And then everybody else does that like Hillary Clinton balloon drop. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> now we get it. <laughs> They're slow motion nodding at each other. Yeah. Tooth has that baby again. He's like, it's mom. <laughs> Remember from a few episodes ago? Yeah. Craigan needs more certainty, though. He wants them to canvas that neighborhood once the sketch artist is done. Then Munch materializes like Mike TV on Wonka Vision and tells them that the day after the murder, Tauber received 12 calls from 17-year-old Louise Karnacki. Mm. Okay, so Louise and her lawyer are at the precinct. So this gal who plays Louise has been in some stuff, but most recently she was on jury duty at a show on Freebie about a yeah. dude who thinks he's really on jury duty and everyone else is an actor. She was on that. Who? I don't remember who she played. I watched it twice because I loved it so much. In this show, they like kind of Truman show this guy. And then I got kind of obsessed with it and read a bunch. And they got him a psychologist and everything afterward because it kind of fucked him up. He's like, yeah, I don't know if my life is real. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for the money. (laughs) Anyways, she calls Larry 
a fucking loser and she doesn't hang out with him anymore. When Toots asks why she calls him so much, she says it's to check in on him because she like feels bad for him. Toots tells her, well, he's fucking dead. And she's like, oh my God, poor Larry. But like deadpan, like she doesn't care. (laughs) Toots asks her where she was three nights ago. She says she was at home. He asks her to prove it, but her lawyer says... Why should she? He's like not even looking at them. He like doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Staler comes in with Louise's stiletto boot, by the way. He got them with a search warrant. The lights are off and he's using a Lumalite and shows her that there's blood on them. The music gets all fucking swelly and she's nervous as fuck. And those boots are ugly, you stupid bitch. <laughs> Stabler tells her that the blood on her boots are going to be tested with Melanie's DNA and if it's a match, Louise is going to be charged with murder. Murder. She looks at her lawyer and she's like, you gotta help me. The lawyer wants to talk to the ADA. So Novak comes in. He wants to know what the offer is if his client talks. Novak says, um, nothing. She's a fucking murderer. But if she tells her something, then she can ask the judge to take that into account. I wonder if they ever actually do that. Probably not. I mean, they probably can give her some sort of deal, but she's not going to wiggle right now. Yeah. When asked if she attacked Melody, Louise admits to it. She also tells him that Larry Tauber was with her, but no one else. Bullshit. Novak shows her the sketch of the guy that the dancer saw at the club and asks if that guy was with her when Melody attacked. The picture is like a picture of a sim, by the way. (laughs) It was like... Oh, yeah. This guy wasn't... Yeah. I took video of that because I want to make a thing of them showing her like a Lego guy or something. Yeah. Because it was so basic. It was the most basic fucking sketch. You know who they should have had? They should have had that little girl who was drawing exact replicas of homes come in and draw a picture of this guy because it would have been a hell of a lot more accurate. They're like, did you just prop up a crash test dummy in the corner of the room and draw that? With like a wig on? Is this a Ken doll that you rubbing alcohol the factory paint off of? Right. Total sim. He needs like a little diamond above his head, a little green diamond. He did look like a sim. Yeah. But she's playing along and she's like, oh my God, that's Garrett. And that person would be named Garrett. It would be you know Garrett. I mean? Garrett. Yes. Garrett Pearl. His name is Garrett Pearl. <laughs> Toots and Stabler knock on fucking Pearl's door. He yells, it's all bomb. Pearl is on his computer deleting files as they fucking speak. And he's super chill about it. He's like, hold on one second, guys. Delete, delete. They're like, oh my God. He's like, delete, delete. <laughs> he's like, hang on. I'm almost done. Dick, dick, dick. Yeah. Let's do another lap on Jeffrey Dahmer. This guy played Jeffrey Dahmer in American Horror Story. He played Lincoln Lee, a reoccurring mm. character on Fringe. He was on Unsolved Mysteries as Skunk Ape Witness. So a huge role there. He was in The Da Vinci Code, Dirty Sexy Money, United States of Terra, Take Me Home Tonight, Big Sky, The Mandalorian. This dude's been in a ton of stuff. Dude, United States of Terra was an amazing show and I wish it would have gone on longer. I was like, what happened in that fucking shed? Who was that other? Exactly. Yeah. I loved that show. Every time it comes up, you're like, God, I love that show. And I'm like, I know, I loved it too. And then we have to move on. Like, come on, Tony Collette. One of my favorite things is when she's like, oh my God, you took a plan B? to her daughter and she was like yeah am i supposed to let the egg attach to my uterus like <laughs> like she was like shut up yeah a stable grabs him and the dude says temper <laughs> he smugly asked who it is that they think he murdered stabler tells him melody quinn and he's like i've never heard of her only in fucking sim talk i don't know if there's like beep scoop dop or something <laughs> I don't know. Zero one, zero one, zero one. (laughs) Yeah. They take his computer through a doorway. Oh, my God. But they discover he has a device, a super strong magnet that wipes the hard drive as soon as it passed through. They fucking destroyed it just by walking out the door. And the dude is like, (laughs) he's looking so fucking smug. I'm smarter. What if one of them had a fucking pacemaker? Well, I don't think he would really care. You're like, "Uh uh-oh, what about others' safety? This guy who curb stomped somebody to death? Yeah, he fucking cares. (laughs) Back at the precinct, Garrett is brought in for questioning by Stabes and Toots. He's shown pictures of Melody from her autopsy and says he doesn't remember her. Mm -mm. They recount the murder for him and he's like, um, yeah, whatever. He recognizes Stabler's marine tattoo and asks him if he killed anyone. Then asks Mm. Toots if he was a gangbanger before he was a cop. Ugh. Jesus, that's pretty fucking racist. I know. I almost went off on it and I'm like, this guy... Again, he's like, I don't care that you're showing me these pictures of this murdered woman. Shrug. 
Right. So like him being a fucking douchey racist is yeah. both of the cops just eyeball the shit out of him. They're like, God, you're so fucking annoying. And they are correct. Then he says he mm. often wondered what it was like to kill someone, but he didn't kill Melody. So guess I'll never know. He talks about the violent things he's done in games, though, but he doesn't know the feeling like Staves and Toots. They know. They know the real feeling of what it's like to kill somebody. The music swells and Staves shuffles towards Garrett and tells him he wouldn't know the feeling because he's gutless. He had to use a car and then kick her when her back was turned. He calls him a scared little punk and then gets in his face. As he kind of shoves into his face, Garrett gets up and starts backing away, but Stabler makes him do that Rorschach thing where you either see a vase or two faces because he gets super, super close to him. <laughs> and Stabes goes, to really kill someone, you have to look in their eyes to see their fear. And then Garrett turns into that kid getting sprayed by the hose and Billy Madison. Who are you? I don't even know you. Go away, mister. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Stabler turns to Toots and tells him they don't need this little freak because they already have their witness. Garrett says Louise is a liar and Larry was the one who fucking did it. Uh-huh. Then the call recording is played for Garrett. He hears his voice and his face changes. Oh, where did you get that? <laughs> Stabler tells him he's done. Pearl tries to say that Larry made him do it. As Toots and Stabes are leaving the room, velvet-voiced Silver Fox defense attorney Oliver Gates comes in mm. and asks to speak with Garrett alone. Mm. Outside the room, Novak thinks Gates is going to try to cut a deal with Louise's eyewitness testimony. Louise may be offered man one to be sure she testifies against Garrett. Gates comes out of the interrogation room and tells Novak that Garrett wants to plead not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. Garrett mm -hmm. told him that he was in a relationship with Tauber and Tauber made him drink, play the game for hours, then made him play the game for real. Mm -hmm. Garrett says he had no idea what he was doing. Wrong, right, fantasy, reality... We don't know. It's all up in the air, man. Later, Novak chats the plea with Cragen. Cragen is skeptical of Gates's defense, and Novak says that game violence is a hot topic right now. Louise's family just fired the public defender and hired a new lawyer. They can't afford the fancy lawyer they just hired, so the squad thinks Garrett's family is paying for the lawyer in return for Louise to not testify against Garrett. Novak wants to hear the call recording, but Cragen tells her about the conditions that got them the tape. <gasps> Remember, it can't be used at trial. Who'd have thought that little tidbit would come back? Come back for us, you guys. Who'd have thought? Uh-oh. Not me. <laughs> Novak's mad. She's like, what? That's the strongest piece of evidence. How crazy that we can't use that. You're making me work more. And per Cragen's phone call, he just hung up from. It was removed from the lab 20 minutes ago by someone from the U.S. attorney's office. So there's no even there's no possibility at all that they're going to get their hands on it. So now Novak's at the United States Attorney Office of Raul Mendez. Mendez tells Novak she can't have the tape because he's worried about the undercover shit going on to be compromised. Remember the undercover stuff that we never got brought up again? Hmm. Novak tells him that handing it over won't have a negative effect on the ongoing operation, but Mendez can't risk that shit making front page news. Novak says terrorism in the news is more important than two psychopaths walking free. And Mendez is like, yeah. <laughs> Bro. Yeah. And NYPD needs to get off their asses and find more shit, find more evidence, whatever. 9-11, you ever hear of it? <laughs> we're in New York. <laughs> yeah, we're in the Rockies. <laughs> so Stabler jumps out from behind Novak's. I didn't notice him. He jumps out of her pocket <laughs> and says that Shaw, remember the guy that was like, I import, export, mm -hmm. don't call Vice. He's not a vital target. He's a fucking, quote, sleazy joke. Novak leans in and says, I need that tape, Raul. Mendez tells Novak that she can't have the tape because there is no more tape. Fuck. I wrote fuck really big, too, at the end of that. This is probably where I started getting really into it. <laughs> Back at the precinct, Novak is talking to Stabler and Wong, and she's worried about how she's going to win this case without the tape and no deal from Luis. She's got nothing, dude. Stabler reminds her that the Emmy's office evidence links the two perps to the case, but Novak says that the insanity defense from Gates will trump the physical evidence. Huang offers to analyze Garrett and Luis to find out if they were innocent pawns or cold-blooded liars. 
or hot-blooded liars. Who knows? Who knows? Huang interviews Louise and Garrett. First, he's with Louise. He asks her how many hours they play video games, and she tells him that they play games for like five to six hours a day. Weak. She says she played for 18 hours once. Cut to Wong with Garrett. He tells Wong he doesn't notice if he stops to eat or drink. He doesn't feel the need. You know what? I'm like that when I'm tattooing. Like, I'll go the entire day not going to the bathroom, and then I get home, and I'm like, oh my god, I gotta pee. Mm-hmm. Garrett says when he's done playing, he feels like king of the world, like Jack on the Titanic. (laughs) And then he plays again once he's done with the game. Oh, my God. Tauber's Billy Zane. Totally. (laughs) If we believe Garrett's story is. (laughs) Back to Louise. Huang asks her if Larry minded her and Garrett being around so dang much. She laughs and says that they were the best thing that ever happened to Tauber. Garrett tells Huang that Larry liked to watch Luis beat other women in the game and in person that it turned him on. It was the closest he got to having sex with Luis and that she kind of got off on it too. Luis tells Huang that Garrett wanted her to tease him. She wasn't interested in Larry at all. Her and Garrett have sex and he's crazy about her. That's what she's saying. Yeah. So do you and Garrett bone? She's like, yeah, like all the time. And he loves it. <laughs> yeah. He totally is into it. Cut to Garrett. He says the game was better than sex. The rush is more intense. The rush is what gets him. He says that driving 120 in the BQE at 2 a.m. is the only rush that beats it. And Wong's like, that's pretty dangerous. No doy, Wong. I fucking hated this whole thing. I know. He's like trying to sound cool. Oh, my God. He sounded like the biggest fucking teenager right yeah just putting the pedal to the metal on the fucking whatever (laughs) yeah and huang's like oh yeah how fast do you go like 120 miles an hour right (laughs) yeah 120 miles an hour yeah in your hyundai sonata right fucking garrett (laughs) idiot that's it i'm taking the fucking ladder out of your pool motherfucker you're drowning in there (laughs) you sim piece of shit (laughs) okay get the ladder out of your pool Oh, fuck. And then Wong's like, what happens with the other drivers? And the dude's like, they get out of the way. And Wong says, what if they can't? And this guy laughs and he's like, oops. What a fucking barf face. I just hate uh, this. Like, he's actually played by a pile of barf in a Ziploc bag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is so jiggly. And he talks. There's like squiggle lines. <laughs> he's like, 120 miles an hour. Oops. I don't care about anybody else's safety, not even my own. I don't like having sex with that girl. But I'd rather play my <laughs> But I'd rather play my video game. She's like, that fucking sack of barf <laughs> loves to fuck. So into me. <laughs> that barf sack loves me. He's like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I just need my GameCube. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm going to play the fuck out of Harvest Moon on this GameCube. Let's <laughs> fucking crush this fucking candy so hard. <laughs> Picking bananas in my field is what gets me hard. <laughs> when I'm in the game, I just big beefy hog. Sometimes I can... <laughs> Sometimes I can forget I'm just a sack of puke. I can't do this anymore. I can't have a baby in real life because I just vomit. You say I just vomit or I'm just vomit? Both. Oh man, that was so fucking stupid. That was so dumb. Oh no, here comes the janitor with sawdust. <laughs> okay. Uh, puke bag, where's this? Okay. Huang leaves. Huang leaves and talks with Stabler and Novak behind the glass. Craig is not there, so this isn't a thing. Stabler yeah. calls Garrett manipulative, and he thinks Garrett convinced Larry to kill himself after getting him drunk at the club. Huang calls Garrett a narcissist. He knows right from wrong, but doesn't Give a damn. Luis is in love with Garrett and will do whatever he wants. Huang doesn't believe that a game ever made anyone commit murder. So the whole psych defense is a crock of puke. Basically, <laughs> dude is a fucker and is using video games to fill whatever void and focus on that. Gates comes in with a motion to have Garrett undergo a PET scan while he plays the game. It's supposed to prove that his brain was changed by dopamine being released during the gameplay, thus changing his brain chemistry. Mm. A similar study, I guess, was done in London, so the PET scan will be compared to the results of that study. And Gates says that, if you guys don't believe in whatever, have your guy. I don't give a shit. 
at the hospital, Mercy General Hospital, Huang is preparing for the scan. Garrett gets some like VR goggles for like 20 years or fucking earlier than like it's we, that those weren't a thing. No, unless <sighs> they borrowed the technology from NASA. Oh. <laughs> 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 Garrett's like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> He's got to, like, force the puke to, like, make little hands with the bag. <laughs> like, the corners of the bag are his little hands. So he's got these fucking fake goggles, and he's going to play the game while in the machine. They're going to see how the gameplay affects the release of dopamine in his brain. They're also going to take blood samples on and off throughout the scan to see how this shit is registering. His dummy fucking stupid head is immobilized, so he can't toss around and fuck up the study. Courtroom. Huang's on the stand. Novak's got him up there chatting. Huang says there is no question Garrett's dopamine levels increased while he played the game. He could have felt high or euphoric, like he'd just done a fucking bump. But any enjoyable activity could have the same effect. So now Gates gets up to question Huang. Isn't the release of dopamine what makes a drug like cocaine so addictive? He said cocaine so goddamn hard. (laughs) I caught that too. Huang tries to explain the difference, but Gates keeps talking over him. Huang doesn't believe that video games are a cause of violence on their own. Gates brings up a doctor who compared violent video games to military battlefield simulators. Huang, who could argue the shit in his fucking sleep, goes, mm-hmm. it's a lot more complicated than that. And Gates, he was almost like, almost like cranky, goes, why? <laughs> Did you catch that? Uh-uh. Why? Well, sweetie, there's a difference between cartoon violence and violence in real life, okay? Gates asks if the game is what gave them the idea to kill Melody. And Huang says yes, which proves Gates' point. But mm-hmm. Gates is just bulldozing him. Yeah, he's like, yes or no, yes or no. And you're like, well, no, it's not that. This other part goes with it. Like, this shit is not fucking black and white and yes and no. And I fucking hate when lawyers do that shit. Um, mm-hmm. He's completely bulldozes him to get the answer that he wants, which is yes, and he's done questioning now. Later, Garrett's on the stand, and he's telling Gates that he'll never forgive himself for what he did. He hangs his head and gives a dramatic cry sniffle. Novak gets up to question him and kicks it off by being my favorite kind of bitch. And she goes, (laughs) do you want to take a break, Mr. Pearl? You okay? Okay. Do you need need to take a break? And he's like... (laughs) No, I'm okay. She's like, cool, awesome. Because I was like super concerned. Your puke bag was leaking and I was kind of worried. <laughs> um, so they proceed. He says he didn't know what was real. He thought he was playing the game when he was killing Melody. Novak wants to know how he didn't know right. that he was in real life versus playing a video. It, okay, I'm not even going to go down that right. It's, it, it's, it's stupid. He says that everything was like the game. When they saw Melody, Larry told him to, quote, get the hooker and was yelling at him to kill her. The swell of music busts the double doors of the courtroom open and carries us all out to sea as we bob around. Garrett saying (laughs) (laughs) Garrett saying mentally he was in Larry's apartment and Larry was screaming at him. Hit her. Stop on her. Do it. The camera pans down to his hands and he's holding an imaginary controller. The walrus judge surfaces from the depths with a floppy mackerel snack and tells this dumbass to control himself. Garrett calms down and says he wishes he was brave enough to stand up to Larry, but he wasn't. Shut up, puke bag. Just a sack of it. (laughs) The judge adjourns for the day and Novak will finish her questioning of Garrett then. Toots and Staves come into the courtroom and tell Novak they found a connection between Garrett and Tauber's death on Tauber's computer. I don't know why I said it like a computer. They found a connection between Garrett. (laughs) An encrypted Mm. code was sent to Tauber two hours before he killed himself. It was sent by Stu Davis. Stu is being held at the crime lab. Let's go. Uh Remember Stu, Carrot Top's brother? Uh-huh. At the crime lab, Stabler questions Stu. Do you like techno music? You would if you had robot ears. No. Uh. <laughs> Stu told Stabler that he sent Tauber a self-deleting email. He read it once and it disappeared. That's like early Snapchat or yeah. something, yeah. right? Isn't that how that works? 
I can't figure Snapchat out. I don't care about Snapchat. Mm -mm. Stu says he had nothing to do with it, but Novak tells him that he could get charged with conspiracy to murder if he doesn't help. Mm. And Stu's really frustrated about it. But he unencrypts the file, and it's a game recording with Larry's face over a character that killed a sex worker in the game. So again, it's very rudimentary, but it's almost like a magazine cutout of this guy's face slapped on a sim being like, bah, 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 run, Larry, run, Larry. You killed her, Larry Tauber. They're coming for you. You can run, but you can't hide. LMAO, laughing emoji, laughing emoji. It was terrifying. Okay. That's what God. it said, though. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's just that you were doing the robot arms thing, and I was like, Terminator 2, Terminator knives. I'm sorry if that scared you. I'm terrified. I'm going to turn into a bag of puke right now. I'm so scared. <laughs> All right. Back in the courtroom, the video from Stu is played for the entire court. Novak shows a copy of a check for $1,000 that Garrett used to pay Stu to send that email to Tauber. Garrett says he didn't know why he sent it. And then Novak says Tauber got that email two hours before he killed himself and asks if Garrett wanted to push him over the edge. And he's like, no. And then Novak's like, why? Did the game make you do that too? Can I say something though? Yeah. This is so fucking stupid. This fucking bag of puke. He's like, the world seemed digital to me. All I do is play video games. Everything is fucking the line between reality and whatever because I'm so involved in the world of computers. But I'm going to write a physical check, a paper check to pay for something. (laughs) I thought it was fucking nuts. No, it is. It is. They're like, is this the check you wrote to Stu Mm -hmm. in the memo line here? It says for the blackmail of Larry Tauber right here. This. Yeah. (laughs) Little memo. Yeah. So Garrett calls the email thing just a fucking joke. Novak's doing her like, I'm asking a ton of questions, pushing him into a corner. And then he's like, you're confusing me. And she's like, bro, you're not confused. You were worried Tauber was going to turn you into the cops. So you preyed on him till he fucking killed himself. You Mm. stupid puke bag. Garrett then gets fucking pissed when she asks him to explain what LMAO means. And then asks him if it's laughing his ass off. He gets mad and says that she's a joke and the whole dang case is a joke. She's like, LMAO, are you laughing your ass off, Garrett? And Stabler's like, I knew what that meant. I looked on Urban Dictionary and it means laughing my ass off. Yeah, well, I'm Garrett. I'm raffle, okay? I'm rolling on the floor <laughs> laughing. That's right. I understand slang, young people. All I gotta say is S-M-H. Mm. Shaking my head. Did you get that? BRB. I have to go. I was just going to say BRB. (laughs) BTW? You suck. I bet you thought this was NBD, but that's not the case, is it, Garrett? It's a BD. It's a real BD. It's a RB. It's an RBD. RBD. Real big deal. We sound so fucking old. I know. Gates is giving his closing remarks. He tries to put acts of violence on desensitization caused by video games. It's super lame. He also tries to tell them that Garrett and Luis were fed ideas to commit murder by the game and they're not guilty. You're such a pile of shit too. Are you like a big, are you a gallon size bag of puke? (laughs) Gates, are you his dad? Now Novak is doing her closing remarks. She says that it's true that the idea to kill Melody came from a game, but says that people get ideas from other forms too, like books, TV, life, from everywhere. Mm-hmm. But acting on them is a whole different thing. She says that, quote, real people ran over a real person and beat her to death. Melanie Quinn felt real pain and bled real blood, and she died a horrible and lonely death. It was not a game. The taunting of Larry proved that Melody's murderers knew what they were doing, and it was real. The game can't be used as an excuse. Mm-hmm. Later, the judge finds Garrett and Louise both guilty. Garrett's fucking laughing. Luis is crying. And then he like yells at her to shut up and then like points his finger at like a gun. And he's like, bang, bang, you're dead to her. And she's like, what in the fuck? He then tells Novak that the game is over and she won. He's then led away. Okay. Stabler's at home. Dickie's playing hockey on his little Nintendo Cube Switch 64 or whatever the fuck. Stabler tells Dickie about the case and then talks to him about playing video games all the time. We can play other things like cards or board games or just talk to each other, which is just, this is like the lamest thing a parent can say. Like, why don't we play card? You want to play, you want to play war? We'll play King's Corner. What can we play, Dad? I don't know. Scrabble. <laughs> Dickie's like, all I've ever wanted is for you to engage with me. Yes. Anything you say, I'll yeah. do right now. 
let's play Monopoly for five hours or until someone cries, whichever comes first. <laughs> I love you, dad. Or until you get a phone call in 30 seconds. Somebody hits your pager and you face palmy and run out the door again. Oh, also, he has like six kids. Why is only Dickie there? Where are all your fucking kids? Dickie's like, yeah, let's talk. Oh, Stabler tells him about the turtle in the garbage disposal <laughs> in the first season. And Dickie moves out and never <laughs> speaks to Stabler again until he comes back after Kath dies. <laughs> Toyota. You know what's crazy? <laughs> this episode's closed captioning was not brought to us by Toyota. Get the feeling it was brought to us by Caption Max, which we're not going to convert to. We're Toyotans at the end of the day. Caption Max. Caption Max. <laughs> no, yeah, it doesn't sound no. right. If it's not Toyotathon, it doesn't exist. It's the only holiday I celebrate. How dare you <laughs> celebrate for however it goes. How dare you wish me a happy Honda days when you know my family celebrates <laughs> yeah. Toyotathon. This actually happened after. This is like life imitating art because this happened after this episode. Mark and Susan Petrick were raising their three kids, Heidi, Holly, and Daniel, in Wellington, Ohio, population 5,000. It's another small Midwest town story. Mark and Susan had been married for 20 years. Susan worked at a nursing home, and Mark was a minister at an Assembly of God church. Daniel, their youngest, was born on August 24th, 1991. He was known to be fun, friendly, active. He did okay in school and was just generally a nice kid. At 16, when the family was on a ski trip, Daniel had an accident injuring his spine. He also got a serious infection from that injury. And as a result, his life was at major risk. Holy shit. Yeah. They were hardcore scared for like a minute. And he spent the better part of the next year recovering at home. God, what kind of accident was it? It was a ski accident. He, I mean, he got a really bad spine injury. And it, and it so. just like got an infection and it just, yeah. Yeah, it was not great. So he spent nearly a year just sitting at home for the most part. Filling his time with video games, like he would play video games for eight hours a day. His favorite game was Halo 3. So oh, Halo 3 is a fuck f yeah, dude. What? Yeah, house, dude. He had a projector and we would play fucking Halo 3. But yeah, it was great. So in case you don't know this, it's a first person shooter game and you're a military guy going around killing aliens and shit. Mm -hmm. It was one of the many games that had parents up in arms at the time. Others included games like Call of Duty and Grand Theft Auto. For a while, Daniel would just go to a friend's house to play because that was the huge game with him and all his friends. He wasn't allowed to own it because his parents were super against violent and explicit video games. Hmm. Eventually, in October of 2007, he asked his dad if he could buy it because he'd been playing it all the time. And his dad said no. So Daniel goes out and buys the game anyway and almost immediately gets caught playing it at his house. His dad took it put it in the locked safe where he stored his handgun and was like, that's fucking it, dude. We're not we're not doing this. Yeah. The safe that his dad put it in had a set of keys that opened it and Mark had them hidden. So nobody else could access it. So this whole thing happened. Obviously, this kid's a teenager. There's a huge fight. It ends with Mark and Susan putting their foot down, stop the gaming or get out. And Daniel chose to leave. He stayed with a friend for a short time playing Halo 3 for up to 18 hours a day. Holy shit. And I think it was only a few days because after a short while, his buddy's parents were like, dude, you got to go home. Yeah. How old is he now? 16. 16. Okay. Back at home, it was still a hell no on any of this Halo 3 gaming shit. Mm -hmm. On Saturday, October 20th, 2007, Mark and Susan's oldest, Heidi, and her husband, Andrew, were going to come over later that day so they could all watch the Cleveland Indians play the Boston Red Sox in the championship. Mm -hmm. They were to come over at a set time. At one point in the later afternoon before they were coming, Daniel walked into the living room behind his parents as they sat on the couch and said, would you guys close your eyes? I have a surprise for you. Daniel stood behind his parents, and as they closed their eyes, he first shot his dad in the back of the head before shooting his mom four times, hitting her three in the chest, her right arm, and head. Holy shit. Daniel had searched the house until he found the safe key and gotten the gun and his game. As his parents laid there, Mark still conscious, Daniel put the gun in his dad's hand saying, hey, dad, here's your gun. Take it. Just then, Heidi and Andrew, who weren't due to come for another two hours, were at the front door. Daniel answered and told them they shouldn't come in because mom and dad just had a really big fight. But Heidi could hear moaning in the room behind Daniel. So she pushed her way in and found her parents covered in blood. Oh, my God. Daniel was able to pick up the gun again, I'm assuming to shoot his sister and brother-in-law. Oh, my God. But before he could do anything, Heidi's husband wrestled it away from him. Daniel took off out the door and drove away in the family van with his copy of Halo 3. Oh, my fucking God. 
How have I not heard of this? I don't know, dude. This is crazy. I know. He was caught very soon after, just after 7 p.m. As he was being arrested, I've seen video of this, he's sobbing and yelling that his dad shot his mom and then shot himself. Wow. Back at the house, Susan had died almost immediately, but Mark was still hanging on and was rushed to the hospital where he was put into a coma. Meanwhile, Daniel's at the police station telling a story, quote, I was sitting in my room and then my dad was just yelling, just screaming at my mom. My dad walked into his bedroom and then walked back out and then I heard a gunshot. I ran out there and my mom had been shot. He pointed the gun at me and then said he was sorry and then he shot himself. After spending two weeks in a coma, Mark woke up. All he could think about was how much he hated his son. He wanted to kill him. Holy shit. The fact that Mark wasn't dead himself was complete luck. Fucking insane. Yeah, dude. The bullet had entered his cheekbone and traveled (gasps) downward. He had five surgeries to reconstruct his face, but his brain had not been touched. It was fully intact. His jaw was totally shattered. What kind of gun was it? Was it like a twenty-two or something? Uh, No, it was a nine millimeter. Holy shit. As a handgun. He obviously had to regain his strength and heal, but miraculously was released from the hospital after 30 days. So the police almost immediately knew that Daniel's story was bullshit. Yeah. You know, like his dad shot in the back of the head and he's like, oh, my dad shot himself. Okay. Right. They figured it out right away and it took almost nothing to get him to be like, okay, confess. So Daniel's sitting in jail. He awaited trial for a year. In that time, Mark decided that he was going to forgive his son and started visiting him every week. Daniel constantly apologized to his dad for killing his mom and would always tell Mark he was so glad that he survived. In preparation for trial, Daniel's representation attempted to plead not guilty by reason of insanity, citing Daniel's addiction to Halo 3. They claimed it had detached Daniel from reality. So like one of the things they were saying, you know, in the game, you kill these aliens, but their death isn't final. They come back. And that's what Daniel believed would happen when he shot his parents. Yeah. They like respawn or not that really like respawn. Yeah. yeah. That along with his young age and longtime recovery from his ski accident created a perfect storm of delusion. Mm-hmm. This was what they were trying to say. The judge, James Burge, was like, no, that's dumb and wouldn't let him plead not guilty by reason of insanity. Also, the prosecution was able to find that he had been planning the murder for many days leading up to acting on it. Mm. So Daniel ended up pleading guilty. Because of his guilty plea, he wouldn't sit in front of a jury. Just the judge decided at the end of the day. In court, Judge Burge said, I firmly believe that Daniel Petrick had no idea at the time he hatched this plot that if he killed his parents, they would be dead forever. Again, this judge, all of these people at this time, this is 2007, had firm beliefs that video games were causing violence. This caused him to do this. You know, without the video game, he wouldn't do that. Yeah. At the sentencing, Mark gave an emotional statement asking the judge for leniency. The judge then sentenced Daniel to life with the possibility of parole after 23 years. His charges in the end were aggravated murder, attempted aggravated murder, and tampering with evidence. Because he was 16 at the time of the murders, he couldn't receive the death penalty. So he will be eligible for parole in 2030 at Mm. 39 years old. Damn. Wild. What a fucking dick. Well, that's that. Next week... We have season six, episode 15, Hooked. A teen girl is going to do sex work, and it's a whole thing with SDs and stuff, and I didn't read too far into it because I want to go into this uh, fresh. So something not cool. Tell you that much. Tell you that much. All right. Rate and review us. Give us five stars. Email us at svupod at gmail.com. Svupod. I know. Send us stuff if you want. P.O. Box 176, DeForest, Wisconsin, 53532. Follow us on all social media, Instagram, TikTok, whatever, at svupod. Get pod merch and more at svupod.com. Join the Facebook group, svupod elite squad. We also have a group chat, walk and talk, and a group book club called Single Tomato. Hashtag little bit loud for all your indie pod needs and if you are an indie pod hashtag that so people can find your shit join the patreon we get tons of extra content call or text us and leave us your questions stories and comments bad advice we're here for you at 1-920-345-7005 again 1-920-345-7005 yeah love you bye love you bye You kids think you're going to come into my cottage and leave? (laughs) Get into that oven. Yeah. Okay, so they find the center. I really had to hold back from doing it. (laughs) I didn't. Yeah. Nope. Did you you just get your first pube? (laughs) Yeah.
<laughs> you were like, your voice cracked like a little boy. <laughs> I've never had a boner before. <laughs> I can hear this plumber on by the stairs and he's probably just like, what the fuck? <laughs> but just hears me. Just he hears like, me going, Yahoo! Is that your first pube? <laughs> he's like, is she fucking with me? To our Elite Squad patrons, Nikki M, Marissa M, Rebecca D, Elki H, Trisha S, Emily T, Katarina G, Mary D, Joshua H, Lem, Sonia W, Eliza W, Nikki B, Kaylin B, Melanie G, Andrew, Andrew. Miranda B, Lauren T, Katie A, Kate H, Vanessa, Lax, Shelby K, Mallory G, Bonita R, Marin, Marin. Ursula, Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Danielle W, Jana M, Tammy J, Bear, Sam D, Nisha G, Nada M, Mac, Meg M, Casey, Abby W, Alexis J, Caitlin S, Christina D, Camille Z, Maggie D, San, Jessica P, Zana J, Madison H, Emily, whoa, whoa listen to the music. Oh, oh. the music. <laughs> Victoria, Scout G, Melissa M, Desiree R, Lexi Y, Drew B, Monica K, Katie S, Brenna T, Andrea M, Tash, Jenna, Al H, Andrea H, Nikki R, and, well, as I live and breathe, is that Aunt Sarah? Sarah over there? Oh my god, she brought a casserole. Oh my god. I can't god. believe she came. That's so exciting. I thought she was still fighting with Uncle Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have an Uncle Chuck? No. Oh, I did. R.I.P. Katie H. Vern, Catherine B., Ariana, Madeline K., Mallory J., Kristen F., Samara B., and Damn Sam. Damn Sam. We love you guys. Thank you so much for making this possible. Um, we love doing it, and we love doing it for you. I love you. Love you, love you, love you. Goodbye. Bye. I love you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> Rick, Rick, Rick. <laughs>